Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries RPG podcast with John and Hannah. Hi. And today we're going to be venturing deep into the swamps to look at the Bullywog. Okay, so we recently did a one-day poll on Twitter where we asked our listeners to choose from a choice of three monsters from the classic Fiend folio for AD&D, and the one that was chosen was the Bullywug. Now, Bullywugs first appeared in the Fiend folio, not surprisingly, and they've existed in some form or other in most D&D versions over the years. The Fiend folio describes them as a Bactrachian, which is apparently a tailless amphibian race of frogmen who inhabit wet and marshy places of the world. Their intelligence level ranges from primitive to human levels, with the different tribes of bullywogs having a great hatred of each other. According to the Fiend Folio, bullywogs have a fast swim speed when unencumbered and can also hop forwards or backwards, gaining a plus one to hit rolls when doing so. If they use an impaling weapon while they're doing this, they deliver double damage. They're also well camouflaged in their preferred choice of surroundings and have a 75% chance to be overlooked if motionless. And they're encountered in pretty large numbers, 10 to 80 according to the original uh, <laughs> Fiend folio, so a significant rumble if you run into a load of bullywugs. Although individually they've only got a single head dice. Another interesting wrinkle is that unless they're using long weapons, they attack last in the turn automatically because they're sort of uncoordinated when they're like hopping yeah. about and everything. Okay, so why don't we have a look at the monster manual for second ed D&D and see what it says about them in that. Your combat's pretty much the same. Yeah. Although I don't see that rule about them being slightly more unwieldy. There's a bit more about the society in this one, uh, which specifically identifies them as fascist. All right, okay. <laughs> it was the 80s, let's not go into that. It describes... It describes a society of them having like one big leader who's the boss, who's probably killed the last leader to get that job. Okay. Um, and then there's a short bit about like a more advanced version of their society where they live in like domed buildings oh, okay. and they might have a second level shaman present. Sorry, I was going to say one thing I do see that's interesting there, just looking over the habit and society of it, it says. Mm-hmm. On an individual level, bullywugs lack the greed and power lust seen in the individuals of other chaotic races, like orcs, for instance. It says fighting members of the same group is almost non-existent. Mm-hmm. Some people say that's because of their lack of intelligence rather than like lack of spite. But that's quite interesting because, as we'll see as we go later on, they gradually seem to be cast more and more sort of evilly as they go on. Whereas the AD&D Second Ed Monster Manual seems to be saying like, oh between like a tribe or a group there isn't actually a lot of fighting this one seemed to me to be like the most animalistic version of them okay whereas like other ones sort of almost have slightly different models these seem to be most like a group of animals sort of almost like they've been modeled on a tribe of gorillas with the one silverback that's sort of an idea but they're frogmen one other thing I'd like to say is I love the artwork again in the AD&D Second Ed mm-hmm. Monster Manual. I mean, it, it just looks a bit like someone's pushed Kermit one step too far to me. <laughs> and it's this, it's this sort of light green skin frogman with some sort of like shellac or sort of shell armor on, a metal shield, a little short sword, big red tongue hanging out, massive 
bulging eyes, sort of like lunging forward as though he's like lifting up his sword ready to attack. With that slightly cartoony sort of style you tend to get in the, the AD&D second ed monster manual. But I think that looks really great for that particular enemy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's it for the AD&D second ed monster manual. But as we've said, it's appeared in almost every edition. Now, in D&D 3, 3.5, they didn't make an appearance until the publication of the monstrous compendium, Monsters of Faerun. Now, in keeping with this version of D&D's focus on skills, the Bullywug's camouflage ability, like we said previously, 75% chance to remain invisible. They just get like a big plus six bonus to hide in marshes. They also get no movement penalties in such terrain. Now, according to this book, this version of the Bullywug has clerics that are notorious for having powerful but unpredictable summoning abilities. Whenever a Bullywood cleric casts a summon monster spell, there's a 50% chance more than like, one more monster of that type will appear, but there's also a 25% chance that like none of the monsters will be controlled and they just like attack randomly when they appear, which is I think quite interesting, you know, and could lead to like a lot of like chaotic sort of scenarios. I think that's just a bit of good fun. Uh, now, in order to fit them into the, the Forgotten Realms background, the Bullywugs are described as having fought a war against the Sivs, which is a race in the same book. And it's also a race of frogmen who are trained as monks and they sort of live in the same terrain. The Bullywugs apparently lost this war, but the Sivs allowed them to exist as a buffer zone between themselves and the outside world. Now, I've got to say, which is I found some interesting stuff for this. I think the artwork's quite disappointing in this one. They're obviously trying to show a bullywog sort of like lunging out of the water, its tongue glashing out, but it just doesn't grab me. The thing that struck me the most about this when we were reading through all of them was there's a particular sentence that keeps appearing from here on, and I think this is the first time it's there, okay. which is, life as a bullywog is nasty, brutish and wet. Well, there you go. If ever that was a tagline for a show, that's it. And this version of their society is sort of, I don't know, less animalistic than the previous one, but certainly not sort of a fully formed society as yet, as it becomes in like later editions. Yeah. Again, you've still got your like big boss bullywug that's in charge and. This is the one that doesn't specifically mention them having the big boss bullywug that's in charge. It just specifically mentions that the biggest bullywug in the pond is frequently a second-level barbarian. Yeah, I was going to say, to, to reference what you were saying earlier about the civilization changing of the bullywugs, I've noticed that from this point, it's like you say, it ceases to become, you know, the like savage sort of non-humans who like live in swamps and whatever, and they're very tribal. And it almost becomes like a, a sort of evil aping of like sort of the standard like human pseudo sort of medieval mm-hmm. society you get in there. And that becomes more and more pronounced from this point on as we go through the edition. So we've got here, you know, they've started to get like their clerics coming in. They've started to describe mm-hmm. their society as like this bullying sort of like clambering over each other to sort of get to the top society. So I don't know whether that started because in this book, certainly they were trying to fold it into the, the Forgotten Realms setting or not. But a lot of the stuff in here seems to have been carried forward to future editions. Okay, so why don't we have a look at 4th edition now? 
Now, Bullywogs didn't appear in 4th edition until the second Monster Manual they did. Now, as was the way with 4th edition, the Bullywog gets a number of different stat blocks from the basic Mucker, a low-level Brutish Warrior, up to the Mudlord, a much more impressive foe with more hit points, who can shoot lightning and sacrifice his own followers to improve his power. Now, one of the things I really loved in this is it says, Bullywogs are portrayed as having an innate hatred for the wrongness of their own existence. A hatred that they sort of turn outwards. And it describes that the reason they sort of preemptively attack other races is because they assume, rightly or wrongly, that those other races will eventually, because they are so wrong, get round to attacking them. So they're like, oh, we want to stick the knife in first, basically. And this carried over into the mechanics where if you're a player character and you get a crit against a bullywog, they have a thing called nature's release where the player who's just critted them actually gains a variable number of hit points back based on the type of bullywog they've just laid the smack down on. Now, damn for that was weird. Yeah, and it's it's not really fair to compare directly compare the fourth ed mechanics to other editions because there were like so many differences. Uh, most creatures in 4th edition had various powers and abilities, something which, actually oddly in this case, I think this feels more like the original Fiend Folio version of the Bullywog than the 3.5 version. Because in 3.5, a lot of their abilities just got folded into, oh, they've got some extra skill points, and that's pretty much it. Whereas the, the sort of Fiend Folio one was quite quirky, you had the hopping attack, you had stuff like that, mm-hmm. you had the camouflage. And the sort of like the powers model of fourth edition feels a little bit more like the themed folio version, albeit the mechanics are different. But having those sort of weird, quirky powers really seems to harken back to the original Bullywog, in my opinion. Now, one thing I did like in fourth edition is that each monster entry got some lore, and the Bullywogs are no exception. They believe they were created by the original primordials, not the gods, and apparently. If they please their creators through acts of wanton cruelty, one day they will be reborn as Slard, who are extra-planar creatures of chaos who share a frog-like appearance. I'm not aware of any sort of previous link between these two races, so maybe they're planning to do it as something further in, like fourth head later down the line, or maybe it's just a rumour or a mistaken belief. I don't know, but I just thought that was an interesting thing. So you don't have to make anything of it, but if you wanted to lead on to like extra planar threats and stuff like that later mm-hmm. on, there's like a ready-made link there for you to pull on if you wanted to. And I quite like the art in it as well. That also explains the weird self-hating fascist thing that they've got going on, because they think they're wrong because they're not the perfect slard. Well, that's it, exactly. In the um, in the sort of cosmology of 4th edition, they had this um, whole sort of primordial slash god war, which was, again, one of the things I liked about 4th ed, because that's very sort of classic mythology, in my view, you know, like the sort of primordials were like really powerful and like, but fought chaotic sort of divinities that came before the gods, but didn't care about mortals of the world. They were just like doing their own thing and like causing vast harm, they were very chaotic and then the gods were like no we'll have less of this and they warred on them and like imprisoned them so i love that because i'm a big fan of classic mythology but i like I say i like the idea they've used that as a justification as to why the bullywogs are so sort of like uber violent towards like other races mm-hmm. because they're like oh eventually they'll realize that the primordial was made us and they'll start attacking us let's just like put the boot in before they can do that <laughs> and get rid of them then it's not really a thing which yeah. obviously if you've got any sense that's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy because if you attack someone 
yeah, they're probably going to attack you back. But then again, we're not all xenophobic frogmen, are we? So. Mm. Now, after this, in 5th edition, Bullywugs appear to be back to their previous low-level swamp threats. Although, according to the 5th edition Monster Manual, they now consider themselves the right and proper rulers of their swamp-like territory. Although, how this jibes with like the previous sort of link with the sieves in um, Forgotten Realms of previous editions, if assuming they're going to stick with that at all, I've obviously got no idea. The leaders are still referred to as muck lords, and they preside over a cruelly whimsical form of etiquette that they enforce on their tribe. Yeah, this version of it's quite cartoony. They're almost yeah. Disney villain. Yeah, very where much. Where their underlings will capture you, bring you back to the Muck Lord, and then the Muck Lord will show you how marvellous the swamp is and all these amazing riches that he's accumulated. Probably wearing some robes. And then you'll probably be able to trick or bribe your way out if you can't fight your way out. Exactly, like you say, they've... Uh, They've become a little bit cartoony. Like I say, there's this, uh, they're described as a foul aristocracy in the 5th uh, the edition Monster Manual. Although they do get some interesting new abilities. They can now speak to frogs and toads. They get stealth bonuses, as previous. They also gain advantage on dex stealth checks when they're in the swamps to represent their camouflage. They can always make hide checks in swampy terrain, and they still get the ability to jump large distances from a standing start, although this in itself doesn't give them any attack bonuses, as with the earlier editions. They've still got a tendency to attack using spears and long weapons, but they now also get a bite attack, which seems a bit weird to me, because I don't know for sure, but I've never really imagined like frogs having like massive teeth. I believe they've got fairly powerful jaws for animals of their size. All right, okay, well, there you go. You learn something new every day. I think it depends on the frog. Now, again, I've got to say, I'm not keen on the artwork in the 5th edition version. There's nothing particularly wrong with it. It just shows, like, a frogman with a spear, but, like, it's got a bit of that, like, um, Watership Down, is it? Not Watership mm. Down, Mole and Ratty. Wind of the Willows? Yeah, it's got a bit of the Wind in the Willows flavour to it. Um... Yeah, it's like it, very, it, it doesn't look scary 3D. at all. Yeah, it looks uh, it, like it's been touched up on a computer. In fact, what it looks most like to me, certainly the face of it, is those weird ornaments of frogs that like weird old aunties had in the 70s. <laughs> I've just thought, you know what it reminds me of? <laughs> so, so, to anyone who remembers like the crazy frog, that's what the art puts me in mind of. Which potentially isn't a very good thing. Like I say, it do, there's nothing particularly wrong with it. I mean, but it looks cartoony in a way that doesn't have the sort of like quirky humour of the original. It look to me, it looks like it's been over photoshopped. Yeah, it's like super three D shading on it. Yeah. Now, however, this was not the only appearance of the Bullywogs in Fifth Edition thus far. They also appeared in the Ghosts of Salt Marsh, which is Wizards of the Coast's reimagining of the classic Salt Marsh series of adventures. Those being The Sinister Secret of Salt Marsh, published in 1981, Danger at Dunwater in 1982, and The Final Enemy in 1983. Oh yes, this is the Frog Chorus version. <laughs> That's it, exactly. And we get some stats for variant bullywogs. The Croaker, which as you were saying, is the, the sort of like the pompous form of their race. And they've got the ability to do these magical croaking songs. I think there's two types. One causes psychic damage and the other like heals their allies. 
We also get the stats for the Bullywug Royal, which is presumably the Muck Lord of previous iterations, a larger and more intelligent specimen who apes human nobility, occasionally rides giant toads, and once a day can issue a croaking decree that gives their Bullywug subjects advantage on their attacks for the next turn. Mm-hmm. So you get a few little variants in there, which is nice because obviously... The Ghost of Saltmarsh has like an aquatic theme to it, so there's like Sagwin and various lizard-type races and the Kraken and stuff like that. So it's nice to see the the Bullywog sort of making a bit of a, a reappearance in that. And if you're going to use them in your campaign, it's always nice to have a couple of variant stat blocks, really, isn't it? It is. Saves you having to worry about balancing them yourself. Exactly, yeah. So, how many times have you used them in a game? I've used them a couple of times in a game, although I've never actually referred to them as bullywogs. I normally just refer to them as like frogmen or mm-hmm. stuff like that. And I tend to use them sort of interchangeably with like lizard men because they're um, they're the similar terrain, um, swampy, marshy sort of terrain. And the way I've tended to use them is I've tended to have like lizard men are sort of more sort of deep swamp, you know, like a bayou style stuff like where alligators would be. Whereas I've tended to, I don't know if this is right or not, I'm no expert on like frogs, mm-hmm. but I've tended to use frogmen in the slightly sort of marshier but sort of slightly cooler sort of areas. And I won't say I've extensively used like bullywug stats to be honest, because 99% of the time I've just like reskinned lizard men and described them as frogs. Uh, just to give like a bit of a contrast rather than just like lizard men in swamps all the time. But I, I do think they're an interesting race and they've obviously they've obviously got something to them because unlike some races we've looked at in the Fiend Folio where they've fallen by the wayside and we've really had to struggle mm. to find some information about them. I mean we've got like five or six books here <laughs> and that's with me just having like a quick quick search on the internet and then a quick flick through the books I've got in my possession. So They've obviously got something to them that means they've sort of survived this along. Now, I don't know whether that's purely because, you know, maybe they want, they're want one of the sort of few types of monsters that are supposed to exist in that particular terrain, along with lizard men. So that's why they sort of get toted out every time. They're like, oh, we need to do a swamp book or we need to do an aquatic supplement. All right, what races have we got? I'll best bring the bullywogs out again. But it's, as we were saying earlier, it's been interesting to see how they've slowly evolved from basically like these animalistic sort of tribal people into this weird sort of swamp nobility with the muck lords like swanning mm. about in their robes, riding on their giant frogs, and almost like a sort of Alice in Wonderland sort of vibe. Sort of uh, vaguely reminiscent of, is it Dickens that had beggar kings? I think so, yeah. Those sorts of characters. Um well, I was going to say, so how about we talk about how you could use them in your campaign? Now, I've got a few notes that I've sort of made as we've been reading through it. And I think the most obvious way of using them is that they're basically like your consummate bad guys. Now, don't get me wrong, you can have bad guys with very developed sort of backstories and moral ambiguity and stuff like that. But occasionally in a D&D game, you just want some bad guys. You can go in, smash the doors of their dungeon down, steal the gold, kill the bad guys and get out. And they made a very satisfying when they hit the ground exactly and certainly in the earlier days the earlier versions of D&D Bullywogs didn't really have any like redeeming features or great death to them they were just shallow sort of like swamp men who dwelt in these marshes generally attacking other races around them and having a very sort of roughly sketched in sort of stereotypical tribal society 
they can occupy a similar niche in games to like kobolds or other low-level monsters because they're, they're not a particularly hard folk to come against so low-level players can come up against them so if you're running a game set a swampy environment or maybe you've got a flooded dungeon or something and you're like oh, i want something different from the standard kobolds you can slide bullywogs in there and it's not going to be any real sort of like additional threat or problem but also as we've said as you go on i find one of the most interesting things about them is they can act as like a dark mirror to the sort of standard pseudo medieval society you mm -hmm. get in D&D. because i'm not saying this is for every campaign but the sort of standard pseudo fantasy setting for D&D assumes you know you've got knights you've got lords you've got peasants you've got stuff like that and the way that the bullywogs sort of reflect this when they're sort of like they're almost like aping this society you know you've got like the muck lords there who issue their random pronunciations and their sort of decrees and their followers have to go along with it and they're quite willing to like sacrifice and damage their own people as long as it furthers their own aims so i think if you want i'm not saying you have to i mean they can just be used as monsters as we were saying but if you wanted to use them as like almost like a living critique or a caricature of the rest of the society in a standard DD game you could quite easily do that because how many times have you seen a story in a DD game where there's some like nasty noble you've got to get rid of and they're viewed as nasty because like, they don't care about the people who are working on the land for them they just want to improve their prestige and their wealth or whatever and obviously normally the player characters are trying to overthrow them i mean even look back in like classic storytelling you know, you've got the sheriff of nottingham in like robin hood and people like that if you didn't want to sort of do it as near to the nose with like human antagonists or maybe you want to get the players to think about like oh like is our own society actually any good you could easily show them the bullywogs with this sort of like weird like horrible like swamp nobility and perhaps the players would think oh you know are we any better than them really so i think that could be interesting depending on how you wanted to get into it mm. Also, there's the ties to the Slard, as we've said, which if you wanted to link into like extra planar, sort of chaotic adventures later on, you've got a ready-made link there that you can use. If you don't, you can just ignore that. It's just a rumour or one of their mistaken beliefs. Absolutely fine. But even if you don't want it to be true, you could easily run an adventure or an interesting thing where you're talking about why they think that's the case. But earlier on, you mentioned the fact that Lizardmen and Bullywogs tend to occupy similar territory yeah an interesting idea might be to have some sort of civil war going on between the two of them yeah and there's a lot you could do with that because you don't necessarily want either side to win it might be beneficial for you to keep pushing that war oh yeah depending definitely. on the player group and where they're coming from yeah i mean i, I think certainly some of the best sort of old school style modules for me whether it's a dungeon a wilderness crawl whatever are those where you have a number of different factions with like competing mm -hmm. goals so if you wanted to run like a dungeon or whatever in that vein set in a swamp you could quite easily have like a faction of bullywogs and a faction of lizard man as you say there maybe with overlapping territory perhaps like the dungeons in the middle of it like you say a bit of a civil war going on between them and that could add just like a nice whole like additional layer to whatever adventure you're running the player characters through. And because their society is fairly simplistic and they do sort of fit a lot of simple stereotypes yeah. for for standard roleplay villain, it allows you to have a bit more time to do other stuff 
and create these like lots of factions with lots of things. Yeah. Because you don't need to devote that much time to thinking what are the bullywugs going to do. They're going to summon a random monster and kill anyone that goes in their swamp. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Although it did say in one of the books, I forget which one, uh, mm-hmm. one of the ones where it's talking about the muck lords and the the sort of like strange contradictory sort of edicts they hand down to their followers, is that they also have like a, a very sort of clear sort of almost sort of di- diplomatic sort of sense when dealing with other races, but it varies so wildly between like the different tribes because it's basically whatever the muck lord said it is. So you could also potentially have them as maybe like allies of convenience mm-hmm. if they've maybe got a muck lord who's like, actually, I could make use of these like player characters. Oh, yeah, I've decreed today that like we're not going to kill any outsiders on site. Make, make sure all the rest of the tribe hear it. And then, of course, there'll probably be the inevitable betrayal at the end or the players will find out well, that the bullywogs yeah. are like behind something or they have like an evil plan. But it could certainly be an interesting adventure if you had to ally with a tribe of initially not-so-hostile bullywogs against a greater foe. Like Maybe you're stuck in the swamps and like your normal allies and races you'd normally ally with aren't anywhere to be found and if this like bullywog muck lord and his like swamp court approach you and they're like oh actually yeah we we want to deal with those lizard men as well um i tell you what if you um if you agree to this that and the other we'll help you out and we'll send some of our warriors with you the players might not have any choice so that could certainly be interesting like i say allies of convenience Another thing I quite liked, and I think is a potentially good use of them, as I mentioned earlier, I quite like the whole sort of primordial god sort of war vibe. Um, very much has echoes of classic mythology to me. Uh, the Bullywogs, as creatures who believe they are made by the primordials, they must have actually existed for like ages, because the primordials were before the gods. Mm-hmm. So potentially they're an o- older race than like even the other old races, like elves and whatnot. So depending on how deeply you want to get into that and their sort of background, if they even know it, you could use that to reveal some, like, far-flung past sort of lore about your campaign world. So that's quite interesting. And as we said, they've also got potential ties to the slot if you want to have those. And I think my final thought about what you could use to use them for in your game is for drawing the players into different types of terrain. Now, we know that swamps and marshes, they're... They're very interesting types of terrain because they've got characteristics of like solid ground but and also deep water, but they're like somewhere in the middle. They're like a halfway house. I found out the other day that the word for that is a liminal space. Oh. A between okay. place. There liminal spaces. So in addition to being one of these liminal spaces, they've also got their own challenges. And there's also different varieties of swamps, you know, bayous, marshes, stuff like that. Um, off bogs often with rich and wildly different ecosystems. And that's just in the real world, never mind when you like plump all the fantasy stuff on top. <laughs> so I think you could certainly use the threat of like bullywogs to draw player characters into that if you maybe wanted to get them into an interesting different type of terrain. And I'm going to do a gratuitous plug now to say that if you want to know a bit more about that type of terrain, you might want to check out the cinematic Environs Wetlands by Critical Hit Publishing. There'll be a link to that in the description of this show. Although it's technically for 5th edition, it's not a difficult conversion to be honest, and the advice offered in this range of books about different types of terrain is quite useful. I've got a couple of them that I'm going to be using for my current OSE game. Another thing to note with that is that in the real world, 
frogs don't necessarily just live in ponds. That's true. There, there are some varieties of desert frogs. There's rainforest frogs. And it's quite easy, once you've got all the stat blocks there for the bullywogs, to throw out all the information about their society and put them in a different environment to suit your game. Yeah, I think as well, obviously we're aware that in the real world there's many different varieties of frogs, of poisonous ones, like ones that have sort of narcotic properties, brightly coloured ones, dull coloured ones. So if you wanted to have a group of factions of different bullywogs, you could very easily identify them by like the markings they have on them. Maybe some of them have special abilities, or some of them have got poisonous skin. So I think you were talking about factions earlier even if you wanted to do it as like all bullywogs all the time then you could still get a lot of variety and you wouldn't really have to do a lot of other rules just describe them a bit differently maybe chucking the odd house rule here and there if you want but you wouldn't have to so you've got the red tree frogs who are fighting against the green river frogs and then the blue frogs from the marsh they've got like a stake in it as well and then there's those uh, other frogs from out on the desert that have been travelling through the area what's going on with that and that's all just frogmen yeah then you've got the narcotic ones sitting around in their hessian shirts (laughs) smoking their uh, smoking their jungle herbs and generally not getting involved (laughs) but obviously we're joking at the end there but absolutely love I think you're absolutely right we could we could very easily do like quite a complex... I mean, it doesn't have to be, but it could be quite a complex and detailed sort of interfactional war mm-hmm. just with different tribes of bullywogs if that's something you wanted to do for your game. So that's our episode on the bullywog as first featured in the Fiend Folio. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you've got any suggestions for things you'd like to see on episodes in the future, maybe you want to tell us how you've used bullywogs in your game if you have and keep an eye out for the next twitter poll for next monster friday indeed we're going to be at the moment we're looking at revising our schedule due to many and various things going on so in the future we're currently looking at scaling back to doing an episode on monday and an episode on friday obviously Friday being the monster episode, and we may drop the occasional call-in episode in between those if we get enough call-ins. So what we're going to do is at the end of each Monday episode, we're going to put a poll up on Twitter asking you which of a selection of monsters you'd like to see cover next. That'll run for two or three days, and whichever gets the most votes, that'll be the monster we discuss on the following Friday episode. So... If you do want to leave us a message, you can drop us a voicemail using the SpeakPipe website. There's a link in the description of this show. Or you can send us an email to rddrpgpodcast at gmail.com. Until we see you next time, take care, stay safe, and keep gaming. Bye. made a very satisfying thump when they hit the ground.